you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. You can once again open your Bibles over to Mark chapter 4. We're going to wrap up this section of this teaching. We've actually been on this, just pulling pieces out of the Gospels and studying those now for, this is our 20th week. I have a record of about a 36-session teaching, and so I have not approached that record yet. But uh, anyway, I I had thought that, you know, sometimes, especially American culture, people get bored if you're on the same thing for a long time. So we may change things up after this week and go to Gospel Gleanings Volume 2, but I'm I'm not sure yet. There's just so much. We could spend the next 10 years just going through the stuff that Jesus taught us. But I have a lot to share with you this morning. I hope you're, uh, I just encourage you to put on your spiritual ears uh, and listen this morning. We are going to wrap up this this part uh, in Mark chapter 4. So we've been, we've been here for, like I said, for a long time, and we've been looking at this parable of the sower sows the word. Jesus himself said that this is one of the most important, maybe the most important, most, I, I, I shouldn't say important, foundational teachings that he did for us. And, and what he said was, and we looked at this early on in this study, he said, if you don't understand the life principles of seed time and harvest that, are, that I'm going to teach you, how will you understand anything I teach you? That makes us pretty foundational. All what the Lord speaks to us and instructs us and teaches to us, the word of God comes into our heart as seed. So we've got to know how to, the, this whole parable is about the condition of the heart and how the condition of our heart is determining the amount that the word is able to produce in our life. That makes this really, really important. And so we're all the way down to verse uh, 20 now at the end of this. And he comes along, we've looked, and in fact, we're going to look back a little bit because it ties into this. He comes down in verse 20 and he says, And those sown on good, well-adapted soil are the ones who hear the word and receive and accept and welcome it and bear fruit. We've seen other people that received it, but for one reason or another, they didn't produce fruit. Okay, but in this one says, these are the ones that where the word comes into good, well-adapted soil and, and they hear the word, they receive it, they accept it, they welcome it, and they bear fruit. Some 30 times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much, some even 100 times as much. All right, so this word, um, good soil, the Amplified Bible brings out, says well-adapted soil. Something that is adapted, okay, and again, it's ta- this is talking about the condition of our heart, right? Something that is adapted has been modified in order to be fit for a new purpose or a new environment. All right, something that has been modified. So, so this is the idea that the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, 
and through his presence will modify the soil of our hearts so that it is fit, it is ready, it is well adapted to receive his word. This is part of the renewing of the mind. This is part of the the, uh, ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And what's interesting to me, again, maybe this is just me, but what's interesting to me is he uses the word to modify our hearts for the word so that the word can produce more through us. The word is powerful. We've got to decide that the word of God is powerful in our lives. Okay, so he's he's talking again about the seed time and harvest principle. It is, and, and it applies. We see it. It's a principle of life production that God established in the earth at creation. It works in nature. It works in relationships. It works in finances. It works in our spiritual growth. It works everywhere. Seeds are planted and they produce a multiplied harvest. Seed time and harvest is never about addition. You don't plant a seed to get one more seed. You plant a seed to get dozens or hundreds of seeds. That is the way this works. So what God plants in your life, we can expect. We can, again, just by faith, expect what God sows into my heart. It's going to produce even more abundantly. It's going to change me, and it's going to change things around me. It's going to change my life. Okay, so he says these are the ones that are sown on good ground. And we've said this before, but it's important to remember good ground, good soil, hardly ever happens just on its own. It is developed. And if you think about like your garden or whatever, there's a couple things. If you want to plant a garden, usually we, you know, we till up the soil. We deal with the different issues there. We, a lot of times we put a fence around it, right? If you don't want the deer to eat everything, you, put, you protect it. But we, there are nutrients in that soil that the plants need. And most of the time, we have to add nutrients. Depending on where you live, different things. These days, apparently, we need more calcium in the soil at our house. So every day or whenever we eat eggs, we have to clean those eggshells out, put them in a little bin. Karen crushes them up and does whatever she does with them. Okay, I'm not the gardener. But at any rate, the point of that is, good soil is developed. It doesn't just happen. So we've got to give ourselves to the development process that the Holy Spirit is doing. Secondly, even as things grow, the soil becomes depleted again. So we need this continual work of the Holy Spirit and the Word. It's not like we can just get our hearts to be good soil and then that's it. There is a continuous work to keep our hearts and to increase, really, the fertility of the soil that we have. Those nutrients have to be replenished. It's the same thing with us. And that's why, and I love this about the Word of God. I mean, I've been, uh, I'm not going to try and calculate the years, for a long time, many decades, okay, been coming to the Word of God ever since Jesus came and revealed himself to me. And the same verses that, spoke to me 40 or 50 or whatever it is, probably 50 by now, years ago, speak to me fresh today. It's that replenishing of the soil. You know, and so so those are just things we need to expect and and give ourselves to. And and as we do that, we'll we'll produce, we'll develop good soil in our hearts. So it's conditioned, it's adapted to receiving the word of God. And this is something the Holy Spirit does continually. So 
you know, I mean, the, the question that we come, come to is, okay, Lord, this is, how, this is what we all want, and this is what we can all have. How do we get there? All right, and Jesus put it this way over in John chapter 15. He said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. So my father is the one who is doing the gardening, all right? He is doing the work of the gardening through his Holy Spirit, through his word, all right? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. So that's God's desire for our lives, this continue in, continual increase of fruit. And he, he says, you, to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, we've said this many times, but it's a good reminder. The word um, pruned there, we know that's a, that's a principle of removing things that would hinder growth, adding things, clearing things out so we can receive more light. It's, it's, a, it's a trimming, but it is a trimming for growth, right? And for balance and for all of that in a, in a tree or a bush or whatever. The word pruned here and the word clean here come from the same Greek word. They are the same Greek word. So we don't usually think of those two things the same, but they are. And he says, I do this pruning process. I do this cleansing process with my word. Okay, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the role of difficulties in life and how the Lord comes. He doesn't come and attack your life with something in order to cleanse you or remove something for you. He does it with his word. He talks to us in the middle of something coming against our life, in the middle of hard times. He'll speak to us in those times. So yeah, we can grow in hard times, but it's because of what he says and what he does in us, not because of just, if just having hard times was going to grow us up, we would all be mature already. Okay. Can you agree with that? All right. So then Jesus says, remain in me. We know that means make a home in me and I will make a home in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine connected to that flow of life. Okay. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus says we can't achieve this um, good soil, this adapted soil, this, this fruitful life. We can't achieve that by self-effort. Can't do it on our own. You can read all the self-help books you want. You might get some good things out of them. That's fine. But you have to understand the only way to produce the fruit of God's life in you is through receiving the word of God into your life, receiving what the Holy Spirit is doing, receiving the Holy Spirit himself and everything that he brings. Okay, He will modify our hearts and make our lives fruitful. We can't do that. It's impossible to do that on our own. So the way, essentially, I mean, bottom line, that we become, that we develop good soil in our hearts is cooperating with the gardener. We have to cooperate. And that means we got to communicate with the gardener. We've got to spend time with the gardener. We've got to receive what the gardener is doing. So how does this all take place in our hearts? Um, and Jesus just taught us in this parable that we're talking about. He went through three other types of soil that we have been talking about for weeks Okay, we're just going to touch on those because you get down to that good soil. It's like, well, Lord, how do I get there? I just told you. Okay, I just told you what has to happen. So we're going to go back. The first kind of ground that he talked about in this parable was hard ground. And hard ground 
has to be softened. You can't just keep throwing seed out on hard ground. So if we have a place in our hearts that's hard, or if we are hard-hearted, okay, as we come to the Lord, the first thing that happens is that hardness has to be softened. And I'm just going to give you two examples today. I, I think one way, I think the primary way, actually, that the Lord softens hearts is through uh, his personal expression of his unconditional love to us. It's through us receiving his unconditional love for us. And a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people, we feel undeserving. The Lord expresses love to us. He blesses us. And we know good and well we don't deserve it. You got to get used to that because it's not about deserving it. It's about receiving his grace. It's the only way. But when he expresses his love, he brings us a, a blessing. He just shows us, he just imparts and presses on us how much he loves us. Maybe we're, you know, we sang a lot about the love of God this morning. You're in that worship service. And all of a sudden you just have this deep sense of God's love and it, it breaks you down. That's a softening of the heart. There's a great example of this over in Luke chapter 5. We're not going to turn there, but you guys all know the story. When um, Peter and James and John, they, remember they'd been out fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. They were working their tails off, hadn't caught anything. They came in the morning, they're tired, they wanted to clean their nets and their boat. And here's Jesus, and he says, go back out, throw your nets in. And Peter's first response was a hard-hearted response. You know, he essentially, this is my paraphrase, he essentially said, look, Jesus, you're the preacher. I'm the fisherman. You don't know what you're doing. We've been out there all night. We do not want to go back out. And then there was a shift there. And he said, well, because it's you, we'll do it. I think probably in his mind, he was thinking, we will show you that you don't know about fishing, okay? But anyway, that's just maybe. Anyway, they go back out and Jesus gives them that huge catch of fish, just about swamp both of their boats, remember that? Peter comes back and he recognized the goodness of God. He recognized and he fell on his knees. He, he then had a shame response, really. And he said, Jesus, depart from me, get away from me. I am a sinful man. So you see there that something rose up in him. He recognized he didn't deserve this and he fell on his knees and he confessed who he was. He repented really of who he was. And the Lord lifted him, lifted him up in that moment, started speaking destiny to him and said, you'll be, you'll, from now on, you'll fish for men. Okay. And, and that was a point where they left their boats. They went back later when they got discouraged, but Anyway, Jesus kept getting them back from all that. But right then they started following him. And that's kind of how it works. The Lord will display his goodness to us. And it's important in that, even if we have that initial response of, Lord, I don't deserve this, get past it and receive it and, and say, you know, I receive your goodness into my heart. Let the softening happen in your heart. And it might be through, you know, I mean, unforgiveness is a common way that our hearts get hard and the Lord will deal with us and he'll remind us of his forgiveness for us and what we don't deserve. And we will be able through that grace to forgive somebody else. Just, just an example. Hebrews in chapters three and four tells us, it says there, if you hear the Holy Spirit today, if you hear what he says to you, don't harden your heart. So 
So disobedience is certainly another way we can harden our hearts. In fact, it's impossible not to harden your heart a bit anytime you push off what the Lord's saying. Every time we say no to the Lord, we have to harden our hearts. It's a resistance thing. It's a, it's a, I'm resisting what you're saying. Either, uh, I don't hear what you're saying, you know, which he sees through, or just, no, I'm not going to do it. Remember, Jesus talked about two brothers and the father came and said, go out in the field and work. And one of them said, I will, but he didn't. And the other one said, I'm not going to, but then he did. And Jesus said, the one who actually did what the father had asked him to do, that was you know, the one who did what the father asked him to do, who was, was obedient. And so it's just really important to, to keep that in mind that if there's an area where you're resisting what the Holy Spirit is doing, even if it's small, we need to make a choice not to do that because we need that hard heart, that hard, those hard parts in our heart. We need that continually broken up. And then, of course, what's on your screen, Romans 2, 4, it's God's kindness who leads, that leads us to repentance, okay? To change our inner self, your old way of thinking, and seek to fulfill his purpose. So there's, a, there's an issue there about choosing. We can, we can choose and practice disobedience, or we can choose and practice obedience. And I think it's really important to start with, don't take the biggest thing in your life, Just start, ask the Lord in the morning to give you some nudges. Speak to me, Lord, and I'm going to do what you say. And sometimes you're going to miss it, but usually you're going to miss it by doing something really nice for somebody, and maybe it wasn't God. Oh, well, you know, what's the loss? But but he'll start, I think it's just so important to just develop that habit of being really easily moved by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me so far? Okay, the second thing Jesus said is the stony ground has to be removed. That was a shallow relationship with the Lord. It didn't allow for the word to become, to go deep in us. Now we taught all of these, each of these, you know, we talked through for a week or some of them two weeks. Uh, So go back and get those teachings. Listen to the podcast, watch the YouTube, whatever you need to do. Go back and get those teachings if this is speaking to you. But we've got to choose to move past a shallow, Jesus is part of my life, but he's over here. A shallow relationship both with him personally, I don't know how you separate this, but with him and with his word. We need to put deep roots down in the word. So we're not easily moved off the word. Okay, we can all do that. It's a choice that we make. We are going to stand on the word. We are going, the word is the foundation of my life. We make that choice. We begin to live that way. We put down roots, okay, which takes time in the word of God. It takes meditating, thinking on, revolving in the mind, speaking aloud to ourselves. It, it, it takes spending real time chewing on the word, okay? to put down deep roots. And we need to let it put down roots within us, which means it's going to displace some things. Roots displace stuff. Roots displace concrete. Roots roots displace foundations of houses. You know, roots are powerful. So we need, and and I believe also Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, says the one who's planted in the house of the Lord, the one who is planted and puts down roots in the house of the Lord, 
is blessed. And it's a, that's a great passage. I don't have it in front of me today, but Psalm 92 verses 12 through 15 talks about growing to old age and still be thriving and, and producing fruit. Okay. So this really is about giving ourselves to that ongoing process that Jesus talked to us about of pruning, letting him trim things, let him add things, let him take things out. Okay, but in that way, that stony ground, and then there's there's just a choice, and I don't know. We're in such a you know we're in such a hurry these days, but there is a choice to allow that I will become. I will allow his roots to go down to me. I'll put roots down in him, and then we talked about when we were teaching on this. Let him build tenacity. Let him build perseverance. Let him build you know uh, stability into your life so that you are not running from relationship to relationship, church to church, job to job, whatever it is, just moving on. Boy, as soon as it gets, usually when we do that, usually when we have that habit, it's because we're afraid of some kind of exposure. We don't want people to really get to know us. Well, we got to get past that. It can be uncomfortable, but man, you'll miss so much, so much depth in your life if you don't get past that. So, we, we looked at these verses before, but Jesus said to them, be careful what you are hearing, means watch over what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue, that's power and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to those who hear. Okay, so be, we just need to be that person. We need to be that person that when we hear the word, we don't just... Glosser, we don't, it's not just a nice thing, make me feel better today. It is something I'm going to chew on, something I'm going to take in, something I'm going to think on again and again. Uh, and I'm going to go deep in it. Okay? And finally, he told us, and we studied this, I think, was that just last week? How thorns and weeds have to be removed from our life because they will choke out, crowd out the word. We only have so much capacity in our hearts. And he talked specifically about cares of the world. We all have them. Cares, weights, stuff just that comes from from life. Deceitfulness of riches, the lies that riches tell us that we should trust, you know, money can be our savior and the passionate desire for other things. Okay? And the the way to deal with weeds and thorns first of all is we need to practice seeking God's kingdom first and really think about what does it mean to have God first in my life? What does it mean for his word to be first place and final authority in my life? What does it mean? Am I, am I picking up? Am I just going to do the things the way the world does them? Or am I going to allow Jesus to truly be Lord in my life? Okay. Psalm 37 verse four says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires and the secret petitions of your heart. And what that verse means is as we take delight in the Lord, and and that's a choice we can make. We delight ourselves in the Lord. We take delight in him. We we think on things like his, his goodness and his kindness and what he's done for us. And we just delight ourselves in the Lord. Of course, we can do that in a place of worship. We can do that driving down the road. It's a it's a thought process. We delight ourselves in the Lord. What happens in that place is he authors new desires in our hearts. We start to desire the things that he desires. It happens. 
we start to want the things he wants. We start to value the things he values. And he brings those desires to pass in our life. This verse doesn't mean if you delight, be nice to God and he'll give you everything you can think of. It's not what it's saying. It's saying, take delight in him and he will, he will recondition the heart. He will reprioritize life. Okay? And that doesn't mean we all become preachers or we all become street evangelists. Or It doesn't mean that. Their God needs and has anointed people in every area of life. He needs anointed moms and dads, husbands and wives, uh, entrepreneurs. He needs anointed teachers. He needs anointed policemen. He needs anointed everything. You name it, he needs people who are carrying his presence into all these areas. This is, this is what he's doing in the earth, okay? So we talked about how if we're carrying worry, especially worries of this life, all right, that is the result of an undisciplined thought life. We are allowing those worrisome cares and thoughts to dominate our thinking, and it can feel to us, and modern society will tell you, that you cannot control your thinking. You cannot control your emotions. Unless there is something really seriously chemically going on in your body, that is not true. You can. You are in charge of what you think about. You are in charge of what you let your emotions do. If there is something seriously chemically wrong in your body, Jesus, if you will begin to apply the word we're talking about, he can heal that, okay? And, you know, I, I'm not even going to go there, but, you know, that, there are places where somebody needs some medication to keep them on course until they can receive that healing. I get it. But that's not most of us, okay? That's, that's not nearly as many people as are on medication in our society, okay? So the idea that I want us to think about this morning, we talked about it out of Philippians 4. We're not going to go back there, but Paul talked about what are you thinking on? Remember, he said, think on these things. And he gave us a whole list. And then he came down and in verse 9 in Philippians 4, we, we taught him this last week. He said, practice what you have seen and heard from me. Practice. Put it into practice. So that means we have to do it. Okay? Think on all the think on the good stuff. Think on what's true. Think on what instead most of us, if we will admit it, are spending way too much time thinking on the negative, thinking on what might happen, thinking on the mistakes that people around us are making, thinking on what the government is doing, thinking about on What's happening in the school system? Thinking, I'm not saying we need to be ignorant of all that. I'm saying, what is the dominant culture of your mind? You are in charge of that. There's a word in the New Testament that is uh, used usually. It, it says to consider, I think, or uh, to count. And, and it's a word that means to lead before the mind. And it was actually a military term. Paul used this in, in uh, there again, Philippians chapter 3. He used this when he said, you know, all these things have happened in my life, but I count them as loss. And I, you know, and what that meant was he was leading a specific way of looking at things before his mind. It was a military term that meant to take a soldier 
and put that soldier in the front of the line and make them the the chief or the overseer or the officer, the one in charge. So they took that soldier, they put him in the front of the line, and, and they said, you're in charge. So Paul pulls that term out and he talks about how we think. And so he says, you need to lead the thoughts of God, the word of God, out in front of your mind and put it in charge. Now, the Holy Spirit wouldn't tell us that if we couldn't do it, okay? So it's like, well, I can't help it. I just start worrying. I know. Then lead what God has said out in front of your mind. Well, I do that, but then five minutes later, okay, do it again, five minutes later. You made it five minutes. That's pretty good. That's celebrate the victory. I made it five minutes without worrying. And then grab that thought and put it before your mind. Practice what you have heard, what you have seen in me, he said. Lead thoughts before your mind. We can have a disciplined thought life. Worries cannot exist. We said this last week, hope and worry cannot exist in the same space and time because hope is joyful anticipation of what the promise says. Worry is believing what the devil says, the threat of what the devil says, what the world says, whatever it is that's coming up, okay? To get the thorns and weeds removed from our lives, we re- we've, got to, we've got to adopt this as a lifestyle. I will lead the thoughts of God before my mind. That's part of what the Bible talking about meditating the word means I'm going to revolve it in my mind. I'm going to think on it. I'm going to imagine it. I'm going to see myself in it. I'm going to see it overlaying my life. I'm going to see what life looks like with that promise working. I am going to uh, speak it aloud to myself. I'm going to, the Hebrew says, mutter. I'm going to go around and mutter the word of God. Well, people are going to think I'm weird. They already think you're weird. Don't worry about it, okay? Um, So, for those thorns and weeds to be addressed, that's what we have to do. So let's go. We only have about 10 minutes, 13 minutes left here. You guys know these verses. We probably look at them a dozen times a year because they are so relevant to our everyday life. But Proverbs chapter 4, verses 23 through 27, it says, Keep and guard your heart. That's the soil, right? Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance. I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going. I'm not going to get surprised. I'm going to watch over my heart. Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. Okay, you put a fence up to keep the deer out of the garden. Put a fence up to keep the liar out of your heart. All right. Above all that you guard for out of it flow the springs of life. And then he tells us how to do it. All right, we're just going to look at one part of this. Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. Let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose. Let your gaze be straight before you. Consider well the path of your feet. The choices we make have consequences. The choices we make about our spiritual life They have consequences for good or for bad. People feel like they can just disengage. We can just disengage from the word. We can disengage from church. We can disengage from, you know, any good flow uh, 
of the word of God and the spirit of God into my life and my life will just go on fine and it doesn't. And a lot of times it takes a little while, but you start to experience consequences in your job, in your family, in your marriage, in your business, in your finances, in every area. Okay. Life does not work that way. So consider well the path of your feet. If I start going this way, where's that going to go? Where am I going to end up if I make this choice? All right. Let all your ways be established in order to right. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. All right. So what he's talking about here is removing sources of thorns and weeds from our life. All right. We can't go somewhere where there will never be uh, anything to be concerned about. That's called heaven. We'll get there eventually. But while we're on the earth, there will be things to be concerned about. So we need to be concerned about them the right way. We need to keep leading the promise before our mind. Okay. So I'm not suggesting you can just go through life. And, you know, I know some people that kind of do that, but it's very interesting. They just never see a problem. That doesn't work either. But it's what we do with that. Okay. So we're talking about removing those things from our life. He said, put away, right, from you false and dishonest speech, willful and contrary talk. That's the first thing he said to us. Deal with the the images, the words, the thoughts that are coming into your life. All right. Put away means to turn away from to intentionally avoid and to keep your distance from. All right? Put away. We're making a decision here. I'm not going to listen to everything that is presented to me. I'm not going to give my ears to that. I'm not going to let my heart be filled with garbage. He says, put away false and dishonest speech, willful and contrary talk. So here's just a few definitions. All right, from the Hebrew, this means we're going to intentionally turn away from words that promote perversion. And that doesn't just mean sexual perversion. It means the corruption of truth, the corruption of of truth about God's nature, truth about God's way, anything that is corrupting the truth that we would hear, okay, lies that are being told, um, you know, and and honestly, there, there's a fair amount of this that comes to us in religious clothing these days. But it's not accurate as to who Jesus is. We're not going to. So we're going to we're going to intentionally avoid and keep our distance from those things. It says, put away from you deceit. Those are words, activities, or images designed to influence people to believe what is contrary to God's word and God's nature. Deceit, words. Images, thoughts, messages designed to influence people to believe something that is contrary to God's word. Put that far from you. Don't give yourself to that stuff all the time. Uh, Put away from you words that are willful. We almost have to leave the planet, okay, for this one right now. Words that are willful, self-willed, rebellious toward God, okay? It's everywhere. In In our culture right now, sad to say, it's not everywhere, but we have a lot of it presented to us, thrown at us. Remember how we said that even if you deal with all the weeds in your garden, that the wind blows more in every single day, so you don't ever get to stop dealing with weeds. This is what we're talking about. All these messages are out there. We need to be discerning. 
Are they self-willed? Are they rebellious toward God? I'm not going to give myself to that stuff. And then it says, separate yourself from contrary words. That means what is argumentative, what is critical, what is always inclined to disagree or point out the negative possibility. I'm thinking of a really good example, but I, I shouldn't say it. But there, there are people, it's nobody in this church, uh, it is somebody in town. Um, there are people that are just focused on the negative. And if you go to them, you go into their business or whatever, they're going to sit there for 15 or 20 minutes or however long you're there and tell you every bad thing that's about to happen with the weather, with the forest, with the, the community, with you name it, they know the bad outcome that's about to come. You can't give yourself to that. That can't be your world as a believer, okay? The Bible says, turn away from that. Intentionally avoid that. At least guard your heart from it. It can hit here, but not go into here, okay? Keep your distance. This makes sense to you, okay? We need to put that same stuff out of our, away from our own mouths. If you hear that stuff coming out of your own mouth, <laughs> that's the place to start, Okay? How do I distance myself from my own mouth? Well, the Holy Spirit will show you. All right, this, I believe, is a word for some in here, maybe online. I don't know, but the Lord gave me Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. For Right here, Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 from the Amplified. Maybe this will describe your life or the life of somebody you know. It says, And you, son of man, be not afraid of them. Neither be afraid of their words. So what does that mean? That's the fear of man. That's I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to, to disagree. I'm afraid to, to step aside and stand up for what's right because it won't be popular. I'll get canceled. I'll lose friends. I might lose my job. You know, I mean, it comes in different layers, but there's a lot of it going on right now. And we get nervous because we want to fit in. And, and the Lord is saying here, don't be afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are all around you. Listen to this. And you dwell and sit among scorpions. Some of us dwell and sit among scorpions in our extended family, in our place of business. In, you know, maybe where you go on social media, maybe where you go to recreate, we, where there are thorns and briars, things that are trying to choke out the word all around us. And we're sitting among scorpions and they're stinging and stinging and stinging and putting poison into your life and your heart. That's not a good place to stay. And you're going to have to make some decisions. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? You're going to have to make some decisions about those relationships and about those places. And those friendships, God has, those are not friendships. God has something better than that for you. So he says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of their words. You might sit, or, uh, though th briars and thorns are all around you and you dwell and sit among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed by their looks, for they are a rebellious house. That's a good word. And here's what he says. He says, so what do I do? And you shall speak my words to them, whether they will hear you or refuse to hear. 
for they are most rebellious. So we do the right thing. We stand up for the Lord. And I don't believe this means we got to be in everybody's face. And, you know, that's not the way Jesus did it. But he didn't compromise because people disagreed with him. That You can be very just confident and relaxed about, I'm a believer. I have friends that are not believers. They're still not believers after, you know, my great influence in their life for a number of years. Well, and and I have some very good friends and relatives that when we go, we just act like us. We don't hide who we are. We also don't preach at them all day. We just live. It's who we are. And if they don't like that and they don't want that, we don't have to come. But that's not the response that we've gotten. Okay. And we can have a relationship. And every once in a while, a little window opens up to put some more seed into that life. So he says, whether they'll listen to you or not. That's not your concern. You shall speak my words to them. As for you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. So as we receive what the Lord gives us, then we can put out what the Lord gives us. Okay, so I'm wrapping this up. You still with me? All right, so right after the parable, right after the parable of seed time and harvest that we've been in for weeks now. The next thing Jesus says in verse 21 of Mark 4, he said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything be kept secret that it should not come to light. All right, so there's a couple of Ideas there. Another place it says, shall it not be put on a lampstand so it will give light to the whole house? He says this right after he talks about the word coming into our hearts. So the question to me becomes, what do you do with the word that comes into your life? Do you cover it? Or are you letting it shine into every nook and cranny, even the ones where it's uncomfortable? It's like, Lord needs something to change here. He will do it. He's merciful. He's gracious. He's not mad at you. He's trying to clean up your house. He's trying to get stones out of the way. He's trying to make you more productive. He's trying to bring that cleansing and that pruning. Set the word of God on a lampstand, its rightful place in your heart so that it can shine into every area of your life. Because it is the word of God. We need to fill our lives with the word of God and allow it to do its work. So I'm not just going to have a religious relationship with with the word. I'm not just going to have, I'm not just going to feel good with a little form, you know, or a little tidbit here and there. That's not what it's about. It's about, Lord, bring that lamp of your word into my life. Shine it in my heart. I am opening every room of my house to receive what you have. So let me just, I'm just going to read some verses to you. I still have, no, I don't, never mind. I'm still going to read these verses to you. And then we'll be done. You don't even, you can write them down if you want. These are scriptures you guys all probably know. But the point is, the word of God is so powerful. 
And we need to welcome it in our lives. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed. It's given by divine inspiration. His breath is in it, right? It is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage, so that the man of God, the man or woman of God, may be complete and proficient, outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges, separates the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and you shall deal wisely and you shall have good success. Just a couple more. Psalm 119 verse 11, your word I have treasured and stored in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Your word I've treasured and stored in my heart. Verse, Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 105. You guys all know this one. For the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So at the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus, after the whole Sermon on the Mount, Jesus came down and he gave us that story about what are you building your life on? Are you building it on sand or are you building it on the rock of his word, of hearing and doing the word? And he showed there that storms of life come against both kinds of lives. And so you can build your life on the sand. You can build your life on Oprah and The View and the news and social media and all that. So you can build your life and it'll look like you're building a life in unworldly stuff until a storm comes. But when the storm came, one house stood and one house didn't. And storms came into both lives. We need to be building on that solid foundation. I'm going to give you one more image, and I promise I'm done. You know, this thing's been sticking with me, and I don't know the backstory. I've seen this in a number of different situations. But when those fires went through Lahaina, there was that one house that just didn't get touched. And I've read various things about it. It was a believer's house. It was this, it was that. Maybe, I don't know. I've seen the same thing with hurricanes. You know, that they'll come through. There's nothing but destruction for miles. And there's one house that was built to withstand that storm. And it did. And it's still standing there. Okay. That's, those, are, those are pictures for us of the spiritual truth there in Matthew chapter 7. We build our life, our house, our life upon the word. We let him build that soil into us. We receive his word. Okay, our life is built on that. It will withstand the storms of life. It doesn't negate them. I mean, it doesn't make them go away, but it will withstand. Does that make sense to you? Did you get anything out of this? All right, let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I just pray right now that every one of us, myself most included, Lord, as we go on through life, that we value your word, that we recognize it, that we hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us today and we quickly obey it. We, we incorporate it into our lives. We cover it over. We protect the garden of our heart. 
We protect that soil. Lord, we allow you to deal with whatever it is in all of our individual lives. Lord, you know you're the gardener. You know what needs to be removed and what needs to be added. And we give ourselves to that process so that we can be fruitful, so that we can release your life and your power to our friends, to our world, Lord, to people who don't know you yet. We can break the darkness. We can undo the works of the devil. We can go out there in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, and flow with you. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, impress this, implant this. Just mark us with this truth as believers. And I believe this will be a house marked by believers who value the word of God above all other things. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ah, Okay. I feel way better. Um, We're going to be dismissed on the count of three. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Valley, Gunnison Basin, and the word. We don't want to change words. We've been saying it this way for a hundred years. We better keep it. Okay. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Remember Bible study Tuesday night if you're interested. You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.